Well, good morning, church. What is the value of light? Well, if you've ever been in a position where you haven't had it, you understand and appreciate it all the more. So I want you to imagine with me that you're walking through a dense forest. I was actually a few minutes ago having a brief conversation with uh, Josh Latham. He and his family are on their way right now to the airport or to home to pack and go to the airport heading to Alaska. And they're, they're, he was telling me a little bit about their plans. So imagine right now that you're in Alaska, in a beautiful forest, evergreen wood, and you have just sunlight streaming through the, the trees. Let's say no mosquitoes, uh, and it's a 60 degree day, right? How, how would that feel? Pretty good, right? Now imagine that you're in the exact same spot but it happens to be night. And of course, this time of year, short nights, but let's just say that it's gotten dark on you and it's a moonless night, clouds have rolled in, and now you're in that spot and you forgot your trusty flashlight and your, your iPhone or whatever phone you happen to have with that light on it has just run out of juice. And now there you are in that same place with no light at all. How would you feel? So maybe you hear the, the breathing. I, I have not had this experience in Alaska, but I remember with my wife having this kind of experience back before we had cool phones with flashlights on them, right? And I remember getting down on my knees with a little Nokia phone with a little green screen, trying to see if we were on the trail or not. And we could actually hear the breathing of a large animal tracking with us. Okay, now that was in the Smoky Mountains, so it wasn't a grizzly but it probably was a black bear, right? Not a great feeling. So light is valuable. And so again, let's just consider these words, John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let's consider the context of this statement. And then we're going to talk about the meaning of this statement. And then if you look at your worship guide on the, on the back side of it, we're going to spend most of our time this morning talking about the application of this statement. I am the light of the world. Well, I want to give special thanks to Rusty uh, Christensen last, last week after the service we were chatting a little bit. And he pointed me back to Isaiah chapter 9. But first, let's consider the context of the statement. So in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, we read that on the last day of the feast, which was the Feast of Tabernacles, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And of course, we've, we've heard a sermon on this a few weeks ago. Um, the meaning of living water. And, and some of the people who heard this, Jesus' voice, believed in him, and, and others did not, and there was a dispute. And so the, the Pharisees basically told the people, hey, we are the experts in the law, and we don't believe him. Only simpletons do. So you should, you should believe us, right? We, we know the law of God. And then Nicodemus, who you remember came to Jesus by night and, and heard the great gospel truths of John three sixteen, 
He was a prominent Pharisee, and he stood up for Jesus in the council. And he basically said, listen, let's hear the man out. And so we we see the response of the majority of the Pharisees in verse 52. They replied, are you from Galilee too? That redneck place up there, up north? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Well, it just so happens that they forgot a great messianic prophecy that their great prophet Isaiah had given about Galilee. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So these two tribes are up north in, in what had become Galilee. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light shone. So here we see the context of Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. He's reminding everyone uh, of this prophecy that they should have remembered that the promised Messiah was to come from Galilee, and from there God's light would shine. So let's think a little more about this. What, what is the meaning then of Jesus' statement I am the light of the world. What is he saying about himself here? Well, in the beginning of creation, the beginning of our world, um, certainly not necessarily, not, not the beginning of, of God's domain, but um, God had existed for all time, um, uh, before time began, before he created time as we know it. Um, but in the beginning of our world, in our dimension, our, our, our cosmos, The very first day of creation, God had said, let there be light, and there was light, Genesis 1, 3. And when you read the Old Testament, you see that light has always been a demonstration of God's presence. So think back when Moses first encountered God's presence. What was was the symbol he saw of God's presence? It was a burning bush. There was a a fire that never went out, that that never consumed everything and burned out. It was was self-perpetuating. It was a a picture of God, God revealing himself to Moses. And and remember later, 400 plus years later, actually not 400 plus years, between Joseph, uh, just a few years later when when Moses is, is leading the children of Israel through the wilderness of Sinai, how did God demonstrate his presence? At night, it was a pillar or a, a cloud of a fire. At times, it was a pillar settling down on the actual tabernacle, and at times, it would, it would, it would go up and then, and, and then go horizontal, so to speak, and would lead them, and they would follow this pillar or this cloud of fire, God's presence. And then later, as, as the Jews settled down and, and built their, their temple, uh, and, and, and God commanded uh, in, Levit- in Leviticus 24, 1 through 4, that there should always be a continual light before him. So first in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, temple, a remembrance to the Jews of his presence. And so we read in verse 1 of Leviticus 24 that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp that a light may be kept burning regularly. 
outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. So light, continual light was a representative of God's presence with his people. Now we we read as well uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God himself is light. In, in Psalm 27, 1, the psalmist sings, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When you can see, when, when you know that God's presence is with you, whom, whom shall I fear? And then later in the New Testament, John writes in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Therefore, Jesus is claiming deity here. And it was clear to those who heard him. He is claiming with his statement, I am the light of the world to be equal with God who is light and to be the Messiah who would bring salvation to the world. We read about this in Isaiah 49, verse 6. I will make you as a light for the nations that my my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So here we see that Jesus is both God and Savior. And he is the man. He is the hero to follow. So let's now spend the rest of our time here this morning as we think about this verse, considering the application of this statement to our own lives, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we need his light for direction. That's, that's letter A here. We need his light for direction. God, remember that God led Israel by light at night through the wilderness. And before that, he had protected them from the Egyptians in the midst of the sea with his fiery cloud that had gone between the Egyptian army, the murderous army, and the children of Israel as they were seeking to cross that Red Sea. And so let's look at Numbers chapter 9, verse 15 through 17. And as I read these words, I want you to think about the feeling you would have if you were a Jew back in that day, um, having this physical representation of God um, leading you and in your life. Verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 15 of Numbers chapter 9. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. So let's stop and think about that. Okay, you're out there in the wilderness. Um, there could be a, a foreign army that may come out and decide to, 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 to try to annihilate you. Uh, there's other dangers, of course, of the wilderness. But you walk outside your tent. You know, maybe you got to run out to do your business or something. And you, you look up in the distance and what do you see over the tabernacle, but a fiery cloud, God's presence. How would that make you feel? 
maybe a little bit afraid. Uh, if you were contemplating some sin, maybe rightly afraid, but would that make you feel comforted? He's your protector. He is there uh, uh, over you, covering you. Well, then we read, if we continue, whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. So the people of Israel were, were, were literally following God's direction where they should go, where they should sojourn by following his presence. Where he went, they followed. Now we see in verse 20 that Jesus made this statement, I am the light of the world. Um, he made that statement in the treasury of the temple. If you look down to verse 20, and we'll, we'll, we're going to uh, cover quite a few verses next week as we uh, cover this conversation of Jesus with his skeptics. Um, but in verse 20, we read it was in the treasury. And what's interesting about this was during the feast of the tabernacles, the priests would light up four huge golden torches in the treasury. Okay, and, and, and it would illumine the whole temple and beyond. Some, some scholars think that these torches uh, were as high as the walls that surrounded the temple. And so young priests would actually climb up ladders up to the top of these, these golden candelabra torches and, and continually fill them with oil such that you had these, these four giant flames shooting up in the air and reminding them of the presence of God at the, at the tabernacle. The, the Shekinah glory. And so it created this amazing scene that was full of dancing and singing as the Jews remembered that great pillar of fire that had protected them from the Egyptians and, and had led them through the wilderness. And so this was the scene. This was the place, and this is probably daytime, afternoon, if this is still the last day, which I think it probably was, of that Feast of Tabernacles. Um, this is the place that everyone is used to, this big fire burning at night. Okay, and so that is where the location where Jesus cries out, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, so what does that then mean? What is Jesus saying exactly? What he's telling the Jews is, I was that cloud of fire that protected your forefathers from their enemies and that guided them through the wilderness. That was me. Well, Jesus says to us today, I am your light. Follow me, and you will not walk in darkness. I will give you the light of life. C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Let's, let's stop and think about that for a moment. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Jesus is telling us that as our light, he will illumine our understanding to make sense of our own lives, to make sense of the world. So let's stop and think for a moment, as the preacher in Ecclesiastes did, without Jesus where is the meaning of life? I mean, what are we chasing after here? What is the world chasing after? Maybe success? Maybe pleasure? You look at most of our commercials, and if 
you buy this, you're going to find everlasting happiness. Well, is that true? I mean, it, it does not take long for the utils of satisfaction, whether it's a new car or whether it's a, another scoop of ice cream, to fade, right? That first scoop of ice cream tastes a whole lot better than the, the 50th scoop of ice cream. Nothing truly lasts in this material world. At the end of the day, what we're faced with is brokenness and disappointment. Walk through the, the hallways of a, of a nursing home. You go to the manor to visit someone, and as you walk the hallways, you'll see people in wheelchairs in various stages of memory loss, of dementia. And you know, these people have stories, and they're valuable stories. Uh, some of these people have accomplished amazing things. And yet, if you're just a materialist, this is their end. Now, now where is the hope in that? You could go to an estate sale. And in our area, we have quite a few people who have traveled. And so uh, some of you may enjoy shopping at estate sales. And you find all kinds of interesting things, furniture from Germany, artifacts from the, the Far East. Some people have collected quite a collection. And yet all the interesting things that a person can accumulate they can't take any of it with them. You may walk in a bedroom and you may see a mattress that a human being slept on a week ago, and yet they are no more. You could take a walk through the cemetery next door. And if Jesus isn't our light, if his son has not risen, what is the meaning of, of life? If your, your consciousness just dies as your brain rots in the ground, if that's the truth of it, if that's the end of mankind, then truly vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. But Jesus, our light, brings purpose and meaning to our lives. We may suffer now, and some of you are suffering, the loss of loved ones or pain in areas of your body. And we may suffer and we will suffer now, but we will not always Suffer. For the Christian, suffering is temporary. In fact, suffering has a purpose for the Christian. It's not just the, the brokenness of the world and a decaying of a body, but it is something that God uses to help us be more dependent on Him. And, and if we submit to Him and, and follow the light, uh, uh, enjoy a more intimate relationship with, with Him. And you know, Christianity gives us a mission in which gives purpose and meaning and priority to how we spend our days on this earth. And we know that we have a glorious future beyond death. So Jesus is the light of life and we need to follow him. We need to follow the light. So, so what might that look like in the practical day? The, 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 the tomorrow, the Monday, and the Tuesday, and the Wednesday, and the Thursday, and the Friday, and the, the Saturday. The practical days of your week and of your life. How do you follow Jesus as your light? Well, I'm going to tell you two things you already know, okay? But the first thing I'm going to say is read the Bible. Your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my eyes. So make sure you're, you're starting your day. And, and the most important time in your day, it may be the evening as you're settling down 
and you commit your sleep to the Lord, or maybe your morning as you're just getting started and fired up, um, read your Bible so that he may illumine your mind with his words. And ask God in your decision-making processes, and all of us face these. Some of you are trying to decide career moves. Some of you are trying to decide, what, what do I want to be when I grow up? Some of you maybe want to decide who you should marry. Well, ask God for guidance in those things, in the big things, but also the little things. I, I remember coming back from Mozambique and totally culture shocking at Walmart, trying to decide what kind of toothbrush, toothbrush to buy. I mean, I couldn't, in Mozambique, there was only ever one toothbrush. If you could find one in a little shop somewhere. And now I had a hundred of them in front of me. And I, I was daunted. I just had no clue. How do I decide on a toothbrush? I should have closed my eyes and grabbed one, right? But you know what? You can pray about those little things too. You may think, well, that's strange. God's not in that space. Well, you know what? He should be. What, what kind of tiles should I put down on my floor? Ask him for guidance. He cares about the little things as well as the big things. And I would just say this. If you can't bring yourself to ask God for guidance on an issue, maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're barking up the wrong tree. Maybe that should be uh, a, a sign to you that, wait, wait a minute, maybe I need to back up a little bit here. But ask God for guidance for the big things. What kind of medical treatment should I pursue for cancer? And the little things and all things because he is our light. Now let me warn us here for, for something. Sometimes we want to use Jesus like a flashlight. And so we, we, we click him on when we get into trouble or when we know that we're in need of direction and, and we just don't know what to do. And then we're happy to kind of click him off and do things in our own way and our own strength the rest of the time. Well, it doesn't work. It's not supposed to work that way. Jesus is not your flashlight. Maybe that's something you can remember from today, right? He's not your flashlight. John says, in fact, that we are to live in him. That's what the Bible says. We are to live in him. And John says in his introduction, and by the way, John loves this metaphor of light when he talks about Jesus. He actually uses it 22 times in his gospel. But he says in John chapter one, verse four and five, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I know we have a few scuba divers in this room. Um, let me just ask for a show of hands. How many of you have a, have a certification to dive? Just raise your hands for a minute. Okay, so we've got some more over here than over here. Um, but if those of you who got your certification to dive probably at some point went to Vortex Springs about an hour away, not quite that, up near Ponce de Leon, right? And what you have at Vortex Springs is you've got a beautiful lake um, fed by a, um, a cave system and a big spring system. And if, I'm, if I remember right, it's something like 20 million gallons of water a day are coming from that underground cave up into the springs, then it goes down the river, right? And so unless you have a ton of, it used to be, you know, you could go up there 20, when I, when I learned, which was I think 30 years ago, okay? You go up to Vortex and jump in and there might be two or three other divers in there with you. It's become more of a big thing now and on a weekend, you may have a lot of people just swimming and they may stir up the bottom, it might get cloudy, but, but, but normally, 
uh, when you don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, people stirring up the water, you have this crystal clear water. You've got, you've got all kinds of fish. You even have some freshwater eels. And you have a system that, that if you go down near this cave, when you get down to about 50 feet, you have the actual entrance to the cave. And there's a sign there with a picture of the Grim Reaper and a warning saying that people have died in here. And if you don't know what you're doing, uh, this isn't worth your life, okay? Don't be a knucklehead, don't keep going, okay? Well, as a young man, I decided to keep going just a little bit, okay? Uh, just into, I, you know, I could see the light, as long as I could turn around and see the light, I was fine, I didn't have all the cave diving gear. Uh, as I understand it now, about 100 yards in, uh, around 90 feet, they actually have a cave, they actually have a gate they keep locked, okay, to keep knuckleheads like I used to be out. Um, and if you're a certified cave diver and you're, you know, they, you actually have, have one of their staff with you, they'll open it up and, and off you go with your lights and your string and all that stuff. But let's imagine that you're the knucklehead, okay, back in the day without the, without the, the gate. And you decide, I'm just going to swim into this cave. I mean, this is cool. See what I can see. Uh, and I'm safe. I can turn back around. I see the light. And you just keep swimming a little bit. And it's getting a little bit darker, uh, uh, more shadowy now, right? And, and you, you kind of hang it right to look. And you, as you move up, you nail your head on a, on a ledge that you didn't realize was there. And let's just say you get knocked out for a moment. And, and when you come to, thankfully you still got your regulator in your, in your mouth. Um, uh, you, can, you can breathe. You, you, you're suspended in the water, you know, if you're a decent diver, you've attained neutral buoyancy, so you're just floating there. And let's just say suddenly, you can't see anything. Um, and, and a cloud has rolled in, so not as much light shining in, you've drifted a little bit in the current, and now you are being overcome by darkness. And you have no idea which way to swim. And, and the more you do try to swim, the darker it gets. So you with me? Can you imagine that, that feeling? And you can't even see your pressure gauge or your depth gauge. You don't even know which way is up or down. And you're trying to remember the cardinal rule of diving. What do you think that is? What's the number one rule when you're diving? Help me out here, divers. Can't hear you. What's the number one rule? Say again. Dive with a partner, and that is important, but there's something even more important. That is important. You shouldn't be in there by yourself. Uh, th sometimes things break or go down. You can always breathe from the octopus from your buddy. Um, what, what's the number one rule of diving? Don't panic. That's it, right? Don't panic. Nothing good happens when you panic, right? You've got to always keep your mind around you, you know, your head about you, think about things, problem solve, try to figure it out. Um, and so you're trying to remember this cardinal rule of diving as you're just suspended, having no idea how deep you are, if you're, what, what way is up or down. You're trying to remember, don't panic. And then you realize you have no reason not to panic. Uh, you, you are getting out of this, right? You don't know if you have five minutes left of air or if you have 20 minutes left of air. So you just kind of kick around. You don't know uh, if there, you, you've, you, you know, there's really no hope of getting out of this one. And then suddenly, in the distance off to the left, you see this tiny little, tiny little ray of light. Well, what do you do? You swim to the light, right? 
That light gives you direction. It gives you direction, but more than that, that life gives you salvation. That's life up there, right? That's life up there. It gives you salvation from death, from eternal death. And so that's our letter B here, right? We need Jesus' light for direction in our lives, but even more, we need his light for salvation. Jesus said that if we would follow him, we would have the light of life. And so in this illustration I've given you, that little bit of life, light there, that light equals life. You've got to swim to it though, to be saved. You, you embrace the light. All you want in that situation is the light. So salvation begins with faith. You've got to believe that that light isn't a figure of your imagination. You've got to believe that that light is real and that that light will give you life. And so John says, or Jesus says later in John, in John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So the light is your only hope. You have got to believe in Jesus. You've got to believe that, that he is the God-man who came to save you, and he died on a cross for your sins and rose from the dead. You've got to believe that cognitively, but it's got to move from just your, your brain down to your heart, and what you do will be evidence of what you truly believe, right? So you've got to start by believing in Jesus, but if you believe that he is the light of salvation, you will follow the light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So are you swimming towards Jesus? Or are you turning your back away from the darkness or are you actually getting dissuaded and, 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 and turning back towards darkness? If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So now, most of you in this room are professing Christians. Uh, how do you know if you are truly saved? If you have truly put that faith in Jesus? How do you know that? Well, well James says that the demons believe in Jesus too, and they tremble. So how do you know that, that the faith you have is real, that it transcends just the, the cognitive, the, the, the mind, and it has penetrated your heart such that you really have a, a saving faith in Christ? Well, the biblical diagnostic here is, are you walking in the light? Are you walking in the light? In, in our metaphor, are you swimming towards the light? Now, the truth is that none of us are sinless. All of us um, do wrestle with a fleshly, sinful nature, and we too easily get dissuaded by darkness. Somehow we get confused and we think greater happiness lies in darkness. But the question is, when you sin, do you repent? Does your sin sadden you? 
Where is your, where is your, 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 your deepest heart's affection? Is it for the light or is it for the darkness? Are you battling the darkness? Are you battling your own inclination towards darkness, the flesh? Well, another question that we see here in this passage of John 1, 5 through 7 um, to ask ourselves is this, and that is, do we desire fellowship with other Christians? It's interesting. He says that, that when we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, with other Christians. So do you, do you long to be with other Christians, to have fellowship? Are you encouraged by being with other Christians? And let me encourage you, church, I think you're doing well here, but I would encourage you um, after church, um, Hang around. I realize sometimes there are reasons to go, like, you know, we've got to beat those Methodists to the buffet. Um, but maybe there are better reasons to stay and to fellowship with one another, to invite someone to your home, to, to get involved in, in, in other people's lives. This is one of the reasons why we elders have adult Bible fellowships. It's a time to study His Word and to pray, but to try to do it in a, in a way in which we can grow our, our fellowship with other Christians. So if you just show up for the service here uh, and, 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 uh, and, and you don't, you know, nine o'clock on a Sunday morning just seems mighty early, let me encourage you to make that a priority and to come to Adult Bible Fellowship so that you can have more fellowship with one another. Let me encourage you to join a life group if you haven't. But the, 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 the question here with 1 John 5, 7 is this, is your deepest heart inclination towards that light? Or is it towards darkness? And if Jesus is not king of your heart, of your affections, then I I challenge you today to wake up and, and to repent, and that just means to turn from the darkness and to swim towards him. You need to recognize that that light is your only hope. Ephesians 5.14 says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, when, when Jesus saves us, he gives us a new living heart that, that actually has light within I want you to think back to Pentecost, if you remember, uh, and think back even beyond that to that original illustration that, that I believe Jesus is giving us in this text of the actual cloud of fire, all right? So you're a sojourner, you step out of your tent at night uh, to go take care of business, and you look over there, and what do you see? You see this fire in the sky that represents Yahweh with you, the, the omnipotent God who is protecting you, and yet you can't get too close because he's also dangerous. In the New Testament at Pentecost, that great fire of God came down on his people in little tongues, right? It, it separated into thousands of little tongues of fire that for a little while rested over their heads. And what did that represent? The coming of the Holy Spirit to live within, light within. And so if you're a Christian, you now have his light living inside you. Jesus said that we will have the light of life if we follow him. It will be inside us. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to battle the flesh. We will. We've got that old sinful fleshly nature. And so to keep that light burning inside, to not quench that light, we have to keep looking to him daily as he shines his light on us. 
But you know, our Christianity is not just about us and our personal relationship with Jesus. Our job is to reflect His light to those around us, to, to, to pray for, to seek to make a difference in their lives for eternity. And so I just got to stand up for this last, last section here. Um, Jesus, we, we need Him. We need Him. Uh, we need his light. We need it for direction. We need it for salvation. But we need his light for reflection. Reflection. If, if, you're, if you're his, you are called to reflect his light to the world. Think about what you can do with a little mirror. Okay? A little mirror. Ten cents maybe. Maybe it's a little more. Maybe a buck for a little, tiny little mirror, let's say, at the dollar store. Right? What, what can you do with that mirror? Well, you could certainly waste time looking into it. But you know what else you could do? Let's say you were lost out in the woods or in the jungle or out at sea. You could signal a plane with that mirror. Right? That, the, the, the reflection of the light from that mirror could bring salvation. And you, could, you can reflect that light and affect great chemical change. You could, you could create a fire with that light, if you have the persistence, right? That could actually bring warmth and, and actually help you cook food and you could survive with that fire. It could signal maybe your rescue. So there's power with a small mirror and the power is not in the mirror, but it's what you're reflecting. We're reflecting the sun. Well, Paul says that if we have truly been saved, we have light to reflect. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, not just in darkness, but it says you were darkness. We were part of that kingdom of, of, of Satan, right? That kingdom of man that is darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. If you have looked to Jesus with true faith and been saved, you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Now, now, Jesus made it even more clear. He pointed right at his disciples, and he points right at you, if you're his. And he says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here's the question to walk away with today. Are you reflecting that light to others? Do, do your words and your actions and your eyes, do they reflect his light to the people who are around you? Now, now maybe God is calling you to go after someone in the cave who needs that light. And maybe it's a little bit daunting, maybe it's a little bit scary, but they are lost and they are dying in that cave. And maybe you need to be the one to go after them with his light. You know, even a little bit of light in a place of total darkness makes a difference. Maybe you've been in that situation where you've lit a match in complete darkness and you could see a lot with that little match. I remember in, when we were in Afghanistan, it was very normal for us to get blackouts. Right? It, was, it was so normal that, that we actually had a candle in every room and a little box of matches. So when the lights would go out, it wasn't just our house, it was usually the whole city, all right? And, and you couldn't see anything. But we, we knew exactly where that little candle was. And you light that little candle, 
and we can see. We can see what to do, where to go, how to, how to live. We're safe, right? A little light makes a lot of difference when it's surrounded by darkness with you. And He's called us to, to be that light. Some of you have been deployed, or maybe you're, you're going to be deployed, or maybe you're deployed right now and you're watching online. Maybe you're in a place where there's a lot of darkness around you. But, well, let your light shine because a, a candle is bright, a, a, a match is bright in the midst of darkness. So are you taking the light within you, the, the gospel, to others? If not, you're doing what Jesus said, you're, you're covering it up with a basket. And you know what happens when we cover up our light with a basket? The light just gets dimmer and, and smaller. And maybe your light is getting dim right now. Well, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and recommit to following him as your light. And he'll breathe new, um, he'll breathe new fuel into your light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So let's look to him together this week, brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. We thank you for your light, oh God. Thank you for shining your light on us through which we can understand um, more of your plan. We can understand this broken world we live in. We can also see your beauty in it. And we see your promise for it and for us. And Lord, I pray that, that everyone in this room would look to the light of Christ. May you shine your light in their hearts. I pray for lights right now that are burning brightly. I thank you for the, those right now who are even coming back from Zambia, um, uh, arriving here shortly, um, having spent some time shining their light um, uh, there. Lord, I, I thank you for the, the light that I know is in their eyes. Um, but Lord, I pray for those who may have, 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 have a dim light burning right now. Maybe they've been weighed down by the cares of the world. Um, maybe they've been weighed down by disappointment. Father, I pray that you would um, help them to look to you and that you would, you, would, you would just stoke those fires in their heart. And Lord, I, I pray for anyone here who doesn't have a light burning yet. Lord, I pray that, that they would look to Jesus. I pray that they'd realize that they're, that they're that person near drowning in that cave and, and you're shining your light. Your light is true. And I pray that they would swim to the light. I pray in, in Christ's name. Amen.